This morning as we begin Advent together, we're going to begin a series called The Promise. And it is based on that concept that God promised Messiah and God keeps his promises. We're going to look at uh, the four themes of Advent as we go through each week. We'll look at hope, peace, joy, and love. And what we're going to see is that God always keeps his promises to his people. You, do you look forward to Christmas? You anticipate it? You, get, you, you start feeling a little bit of excitement once you get through Thanksgiving and you know Christmas is on the way? I, I know some of you don't wait till after Thanksgiving, and I understand that, you, I know they've got the Hallmark movies and Christmas in July and Christmas at Easter and Christmas at summer. And I understand. And some of you listen to that music all year long. I get it. But, but it builds that anticipation, right? Whenever we begin the movies or the songs or whatever, it's, it's, it's driving us to that special, that special day. When Ashley was coming up when she was young, Joe and Margot Paul used to give her a, an advent calendar every year. And uh, you've seen those little advent calendars that, that each day you'd open a window and there'd be a little piece of chocolate in there, right? And Ashley loved to open that little advent calendar leading up to, to Christmas. She'd, she'd get into that candy and, and enjoy every day. Every day got closer and closer to Christmas, just building that anticipation. Some of you may remember those those paper ring, those paper chains, you know, you, you'd make those strips of paper and pull around and staple them all together. And, and then each day you'd, you'd tear one ring off and the chain would get shorter and shorter and shorter until you finally made your way to Christmas. And, you know, I guess maybe the, the, the best way to anticipate Christmas is looking at those presents under the tree. As you get closer and closer and people are doing more and more of their shopping, you get more and more of those presents under the tree and it just builds that anticipation. And, you know, some of those presents just have to be shook. They just have to be weighed. You got to listen. You got to figure out what's in those presents. It's building that anticipation. And, you know, when you were a kid, going to sleep on Christmas Eve was just probably not going to happen right away. It's, it, it just builds that anticipation, and that's part of the season. We intentionally anticipate the birth of Christ because it's too important for us to run past it quickly. And so it is as if the whole world changes its perspective, and all of a sudden we're talking about things we don't talk about any other time during the year. And we're focused on that, on that little manger in that little bitty town as that little bitty boy was finally born. That's what Advent is all about. Advent comes from a Latin word that means the coming. It's, it's celebrating the fact that Jesus is coming. And then on Christmas Day and in our church, it's Christmas Eve, we celebrate that he has indeed come, that he has been born. 
Advent is building that, that excitement. You could say that Advent is all about experiencing hope. Hope. We usually use that word to mean optimistic thinking about the way things might go. Uh, kind of like Wendy was saying, I hope I get that bike. You know, we, we, I, I, I hope my team wins. It's, it's kind of an optimistic way of thinking that things might go our way. You know, Baylor, West, Abbott, all hope to keep winning and to be their conference or state champs. In Scripture, hope is much more than optimistic thinking. In Scripture, hope is the assurance of a future based on the promises of God. Hope is the assurance of a future based on the promises of God. If I'm just hoping that my team will win or I'll get a bike for Christmas, I don't have any way, any assurance that that's going to happen. I'm just kind of wishful thinking. But biblical hope is based on something that I can build my life on. I know that God is a promise-keeping God. Therefore, my hope is assurance in the future based on the promises of God. It's trusting in God's promises so much that it actually affects the way I see things today. Our little bumper video had a quick little comment that we might have run through too quickly, and, but it, it made that point that, that hope is assurance of the future that affects the present. My hope is that driving kind of energy within but that energy is coming from the assurance I have of what's going to happen in the future because of God's promises. Simeon was a man of hope. And this morning I want us to consider together hope has come. Each week we're going to look at a different character, if you I don't like that term really, a different person who was involved in the Christmas story. Uh, we'll look at a different one each week as they help us to understand one of the themes of Advent. And this week, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, Hope Has Come, and we're going to be introduced to Simeon. Simeon was a, a faithful man, and based on the context of the story, we assume he was pretty old. The Bible doesn't tell us his age. Tradition tells us that he was... 112 or 113. But understand, that is tradition. We're not sure how old he is, but we do know that he had lived long enough, that he had seen a lot, and he was trusting God for what was going to happen next. Look with me in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 25. Luke 2 at 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And it came in the spirit, and he came into the spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. In that little text, we get to know Simeon. And verse 25 tells us that Simeon was a righteous man. And listen to his faith again in that verse 25 as we discover that hope is certain. Listen, there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. What was he doing? Waiting for the consolation of Israel. How, how would someone define your life if they had to wrap it up in one sentence? How would they define your life? Simeon's entire life was summed up in this way. He was a devout and righteous man who was waiting on the consolation of Israel. Well, what is that? Consolation means encouragement. It, it, it's a word that means to comfort. And so here is one who has waited his entire life for God to move. Now understand that that waiting lasted longer than just Simeon's life. It, it lasted for generations. As a matter of fact, you're familiar with the Old Testament in which the prophets told the people that the Messiah would come. And so the Messiah, they started hoping for his coming for hundreds of years. They hoped and longed for his coming as Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. That's a phrase that's used many times in the book of Isaiah as that prophet told about the consolation of Israel would come. And so they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. Well, then after after Malachi, there are no more prophets. For 400 years, God is silent. His people heard nothing from him for 400 years. And yet, many of them still waited. Only hope can drive people with that kind of energy for that long. Simeon was a righteous man who was devout. And his goal in life, his purpose, was waiting for Messiah to come to console Israel. Rabbi Hugo Grin used to tell of his experiences in Auschwitz as a boy. Food supplies were meager. The inmates took care to preserve every scrap that came their way. When the festival of Hanukkah arrived, 
Hugo's father took a lump of margarine. And although it embarrassed Hugo at first, his dad used that margarine as fuel for the light to be lit at the festival. When Hugo asked his father why he did that, his father replied, We know that it is possible to live for three weeks without food, but without hope, it is impossible to live properly for three minutes. Without hope, we do not live fully, properly. We're missing a big part of life when we live without hope. Simeon, a man who was righteous, a man who was devout, spent his life hoping. And his hope was certain. It was not that wishful thinking, but he knew Messiah was coming. And we know he knew that because of the way he prayed and the the favor that he asked of God. In verse 26, we read that it had revealed that uh, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Remember the word Christ is Messiah. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek, they're the same thing. Here is a promise that he got from the Holy Spirit. You will not die until you see hope fulfilled. You're going to live long enough to see Messiah. And God is a promise-keeping God. So Simeon had a hope that was certain. We also learned, though, that because his his hope was certain, it impacted who he was. And so we learn from Simeon that hope impacts the present. It, it, it not only is certain as we look toward the future, but because of that certainty, our present is changed. Simeon was a devout man, a righteous man. Why? Because his hope defined him. It affected who he was. It impacted the present. Today, as we kind of kick off the Christmas season, if you will. I know that there are a lot of things that can distract us. We got to get all that shopping done. We got to get all the decorations put up. You know, we've, we've we got to get the Christmas trees out and got to put the, the lights out. Of course, some of y'all leave those lights all year. That's a different conversation, but we, you know, it's a uh, we're building, we're going to all the parties. It seemed like everybody and their puppy dog wants to have a meeting in December on top of all the parties. There's just all this stuff going on. It's a crazy time. And it would be so easy for us to just be driven by the schedule. I've got one event, I've got another event, I've got another event, I've got another, and let the events drive us through the holidays. So we want to begin the season with a reminder that hope is certain and hope impacts the present. Instead of just being driven by busyness, let us be driven by hope. As we long for his coming. Now, every party I go to has a different meaning. Instead of just doing the social part of of being in community instead of just having to do this instead of having to decorate now everything I do 
is not to check off a box or move to the next event. Now everything I do in the season is impacting me because it's building that anticipation. My hope is growing and I'm understanding and experiencing what the people of God experienced as they longed for Messiah. And because of that longing, Christmas Day is so much more meaningful. In his book, Surprise Endings, Ron Mail shared a story about a 78-year-old minister who was hired by a church in California. Not long after he arrived, the church members began to complain that he wasn't what they wanted. He wasn't a great speaker. He didn't have much pizzazz. But instead of lovingly discussing their concerns with him, the congregation opted for the typical passive-aggressive bullying tactics. They ignored his sermons. They withheld their giving. They talked about him behind his back. Many people stopped attending. And sure enough, he soon got the message. And because he didn't want to hurt the church, he quietly resigned. As he was leaving, two seminary students walked up to him and they said, so what are you going to do now? You don't have any family. You don't have any money. You don't have a home anymore. Where will you go? This humble man of God replied without hesitation, I'm going to heaven. And they said, well, of course we know that. You'll go to heaven eventually, but what are you going to do now? You have nowhere to turn and no one to help you. And the old preacher said, I'm going to heaven. And the fact that I'm going to heaven makes these times of temporary hardship seem insignificant. You see how hope impacts the present? Because I live in a state of hope, it changes how I see my current situation and my life as it is. That's what Peter wanted for the early church. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 13, he said, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that phrase at the beginning, preparing your minds for action, what that literally says is uh, more along the lines of gird up your loins. And you think, well, what in the world is that? Well, in, in biblical times, men didn't wear pants and a shirt. They wore what was basically a shirt that went all the way down to the ankles, kind of like a robe. And with that big old long thing hanging around down there, if you had to, if you had to act in an emergency, you had to run, it would be very hard. You'd get all tangled up with that skirt all over you. And so when the men had to prepare for something that was, uh, that, you know, an emergency type situation, they had to prepare to run, they had to do something, they'd reach down here, pull up that, the bottom of that long shirt and tuck it in around their waist. That way, everything was out of the, you know, everything was out of the way. They could move their legs and run and do what they needed to do. And so here Peter says, gird up your loins. In other words, get ready. Prepare your minds. Get your minds right. Get your thinking right. Be sober-minded. 
Be clear in your thoughts about this one thing. Okay, Peter, what's the one thing you want us to really understand and focus on? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's message in 1 Peter is be hopeful. That's the whole book of 1 Peter. Be hopeful. And so he says to us, get your mind right. Focus on the hope of Jesus coming. Hope is certain. And it impacts the present. And that's because hope is found in a person. Hope is found in a person. Let's continue the story. We're at 27. He came in the Holy Spirit, he came in the Spirit. In other words, that is, the, the Spirit guided him to come into the temple at just the right time. He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He had longed for the coming of Messiah. He received a promise from God. You won't die until you get to see Messiah. And then the Holy Spirit leads him to the temple at just the right time. And he looks over and there's Mary and Joseph and they're bringing in the baby. They're bringing him in because it's time to make a very special offering. There's a very special religious ritual that they need to go through. And they brought their little turtle doves to make the offering and, and to make the sacrifice and do all the stuff. And here they are coming. And immediately, Simeon knows that God has fulfilled his promise. Simeon sees Jesus and he knows Messiah has come. And then did you notice how he put it? I think this is one of the most powerful ways for us to understand death for a believer. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. That word for depart is a word that is used in a variety of different ways, but, but primarily it's used when they untie the ship at the dock once they untie the ship from the dock, they can send it out and it departs. It doesn't disappear. It doesn't go away. It moves from one place to another. It departs. That is the picture of what happens at the end of this life for believers. We don't go away. We don't disappear. We move from one place to another. From, from one reality to a different reality, we depart. Tuesday, we'll be able to say with, confidential, with confidence and with hope, we know that our sister Jane has departed. She's gone from this place to the place. And we'll be able to celebrate on her behalf. Here, he says, now I can depart in peace. Why? Because you kept your promise. 
He says, according to your word. Now, when we hear your word, we think the Bible, but there weren't no Bible. When he says, you've kept your word, he means the promise that came through the Holy Spirit. God is a promise-keeping God. People had been waiting for hundreds of years. Why did Simeon recognize Messiah when so many others didn't? Well, it's because they were hoping, wishful thinking, for their own expectations. So many of the people in that day were hoping for a great military leader, this great uh, political power who would come in and wipe out their enemies. They were wishful thinking about their own expectations. Simeon, however, had learned to live in biblical hope, trusting in God's promises. And when he sees Jesus, he knows God has kept his word. And he began to sing praises to him. In verse 28, it said that he blessed God and he said, well, then the next four verses, your, your version or your, your copy may show them um, kind of centered instead of left aligned or maybe they're in italics or, or maybe they're blocked. You'll see that that's a little different. The reason for that is we think this is a song. We think that he broke out in singing a praise to God. And he did so because God had kept his promise and now hope is found in this person of Jesus. Well, as we look at this, the story of Simeon, we not only are encouraged that hope is certain and that it impacts the present, we not only learn that it is found in a person, but we rejoice because we find out that hope is available to all. Hope is available to all. Look at the last half of his song. The first half is about his personal experience in God keeping his word. And now the last half of the song is about people in general. Look at verse 31. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You have prepared, God, that this light would finally shine. Surely he is thinking about Isaiah's comment that we heard earlier as the candle was being lit, that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah prophesied that would happen. And now here is Simeon, and he says, the light has come. And that light will shed light on the truth for the Gentiles. It will reveal that he is Messiah to the Gentiles, and that very same light will bring glory to the Israelites, to the people of God. That light has finally come in a dark time. Friends, I know that you and I have been through, give or take, two years of a dark time. This has been very difficult for all of us. We've suffered a great deal. We've lost people we care about. We've lost all, many things. And there's no reason for us to assume that things are going to get back to our version of normal anytime soon. The economist said this morning on the news that it'll be at least two years before the economy is settled again. This is a dark time. So today, you and I 
have a choice. We can choose to continue along with the rest of the world around us. We can continue to be divisive and angry and selfish during the darkness. Or we can choose to be like Simeon and say, even in this darkness, I've seen a light. And because I've seen a light, I know God is a promise-keeping God. And because I know he's a promise-keeping God, I know he's going to be with me through everything. And because I know he's going to be with me through everything, I know that one of these days, I'm just going to depart from this world. All because I know the person who brings hope. Because I know Jesus. My world and my life are different, even in dark times.